But with that said, um, yeah, to answer your question, what does Rowdy Kelly do? Yeah, he does like, uh, I think he dabbles in like, obviously like drone footage stuff. And then he also does like, I think he's like a, like a location manager or a location uh, scout which is uh, I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to explain what it is for people that don't? Know? Yeah. Um. So basically, it's someone who goes out and like scouts um locations for future film shoots. Um. It's pretty much self-explanatory, but that is the more of an expanded definition of it. Um. And they go out and yeah, just kind of take inventory of the area and see if it's you know adequate for filming. The but. drones. That's a realm I have yet to dive into. I was talking to Andy about it because he he just got another drone and I've been for the past few weeks I, I'm looking at them and I'm trying to justify why I would need one, and then I realized I really don't need one because the bar of entry is pretty high still for drone tech for a decent drone like a DJI that you're actually going to shoot some good footage on. I mean, you could drop a thousand bucks. Right. Like, yep, yeah, this is just what you're going to pay. But the footage is incredible. I mean, your shots that you guys included was was great footage of eureka yeah thank you um yeah i mean it was uh i i mean i just got to credit the you know the drone videographers i guess and uh they they're i it, a lot some of it comes down to um a lot of actually a, a good at least half of it if not more came down to their what they wanted to get like what they thought was best because i mean we were we were kind of relying on them more or less to kind of guide us as to what kinds of footage they think like we had like a foundation for what exactly we wanted but like as for like specific locations um that's where they came in handy if that makes sense yeah so they more lined you guys up with oh this shot of this part of town would mm -hmm. be best to yeah. open the scene or to close out this particular segment yeah so how did you for people that don't know you were from the homeless and humble project you were the director for that project Yes. How did that idea come into fruition? Um, so basically, yeah. So it was it was an, it's an interesting uh kind of uh collisions of worlds or yeah, kind of culmination of things. So basically, it's a it's a long-winded uh answer. I don't know if you care for the long-winded answer or if you would like the shortened down version. Um I'll I'll just try to make it a concise or try to balance it out. But um so I had been hired on as an intern uh, by the what was then called the Humboldt State. I don't know if you know, but Humboldt State is now called Cal Poly Humboldt. Um, yeah, still trying to get used to that change. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of us are, but um, um, but yeah, I, there's there's something I think it's still ongoing. I don't know. I have not checked into it in a while. Called the, um, and I'm of course I'm blanking on the name. Um, on the spotlight. Um, it's uh. It, it's basically something that it's like oh Humboldt in the time of COVID archive project, and uh, or something along those lines. That's the name of it. And what it is is so the idea is that so you know how we were looking back a hundred years in the past at the Spanish flu of what was it nineteen fourteen eighteen or something like that, and seeing how people survived during that time. Um, well, the the idea with this uh, COVID archive project was that I as an intern were. I was going to be working in conjunction with the Humboldt State Library to gather, um, to aggregate community submissions, uh, whether it be poems, art pieces, you know, music, uh, photos, videos, whatever, of just showing how Humboldt uh, was and is surviving in the time of COVID so that uh, researchers 100 years into the future could look back at us and see how we were surviving, just like we were looking 100 years in the past, um, if that makes sense. And um, so I was, I, I was, I was going to do it and I was really excited and, um, but unfortunately they ran out of budget for us to, to hire interns and they're like, Hey, you know, it's like, you know, maybe we can check back in the future, but for now, you know, no, we can't, we can't hire you on. And I, that was kind of deflating to me as it would be for anyone. Um, but for, for what that was worth, I did, um, that did spark an interest in me in wanting to do some kind of art project related to Humboldt in the time of COVID, um, regardless of if I was going to be attached to that, you know, the thing with the library or not. Um, but then the other thing that came into play was there was this grant, excuse me, um, that um, 
was I wanted to get um and it was I it was I was informed by this by my uh, faculty advisor at the time, Vicky Sama, about this grant, which was uh, I think it was the California Humanities Grant or something that would be show. It's supposed to it was uh, supposed to be showcasing um, the humanities basically through through video, and um, I was interested in that, and so I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do for it. I just know I wanted to apply for the grant, so um, I tried. I assembled a team. We I got them going with that, and we didn't get the grant. Or I, it's not we didn't get the grant. It's that we it just it was just too much like overhead, too much work. Because I may or may not know, applying for a grant is a lot of work. I can imagine. Yeah. Um. And just a lot of hoops to jump through, and ultimately it just didn't really work out. However, I had a team, and um, I had a you know I had this like drive to want to do something, um, about humble in the time of COVID, and so. Basically, I wanted to, yeah, so I, that's, I, now let me backtrack a little bit. The team didn't, um, spawn all from the grant. I, I kind of was like talking to people here and there, but the, the team actually like legitimately formed when, um, we started doing the actual documentary series. Um, now I got to credit my, uh, colleague, Skylar Gavin, who is now a, you might've seen her as a reporter on, uh, Redwood news. Um, she, uh, she came up with the idea of doing something about, you know, homelessness in the time of COVID, um, as a project. And I, yeah, so literally how that got started was that, and I know, sorry, it's a long winded answer, but, um, uh, me and her were walking back from a, a, a separate shoot. Uh, me and her were both involved in video production. Uh, for uh, I think the lumber yeah for the lumberjack and um we were walking back from a uh like I think it was called the angels of, yeah the angels of hope thrift store in Arcata and uh, it's anyway it's a thrift store in like the Creamery district in Arcata and uh, she or we we happen I happened to notice a uh, a homeless man uh, who had been the subject of a separate documentary um, that I had watched before I'm like hey I recognize that guy so I so we I just started chatting him up and uh Skylar, you know, that's kind of what I guess would spawn the idea in Skylar's mind, like, hey, maybe we could do something about because I had already been talking to her about, hey, you know, I've got this grant, I've got the, all these other things going on. I don't really know the state of state of them. You know, let's see what we can make happen. And yeah, so I really got to credit Skylar Gavin for uh coming up with the actual idea of doing homelessness in the time of COVID. But I already had kind of a foundation, but she really elevated it. You had the general idea of I want to do something in this realm. And mm. she kind of put that last piece in there. Yeah, really just like the cherry on top, kind of like the homelessness aspect to it. And we we hadn't looked back. Um, and so no grant money. You you just decided at this point you want to do it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were committed. Yeah. Um, and uh, I got a team that was with me for about you know, a year and a half, two years. Um, I graduated a year before uh, they graduated or some of the team graduated. We grad- And that actually kind of worked in my favor because um, I, I was still, you know, I was a student until May of 2021. Um, but my other colleagues, they graduated, most of them graduated either half a semester or a full semester after I graduated. So I had time. They were still in humble. They still had motivation to continue to work on this project. And, you know, they were still here and they, they had incentive as they were, um, also taking a, um, I should mention, sorry, um, kind of jumping around, but I also, uh, part of this project, and I don't, this is probably something you don't know, is that, um, we were, um, doing, this was part of a, class, a cl- part of an internship class kind of a thing. It was called mass media internship. And our advisor, Ricky Sama, who I really got to, I just got to hand it to her uh, time after time. She really helped um, kind of guide us through this. And uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, yeah, I would think if you were taking a class that you needed to do well in, you would have incentive to want to do this project. But it would also went beyond that. They actually had, there was like a humanitarian side to it. Um, so, yeah. Was the class structured in a video format where you had to film something and produce that? 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much like a deliverable or something like that, almost like to a client. And um, is that how you found the rest of your team? Was everyone was in that class? Um, not really. Um, no. Uh, it was. It's it's a good question because um, I kind of learned. Yeah, I I mean I I was already aware of the, my other colleagues. Like we were all journalism majors. Um, but I just um. Actually, actually, um, Rachel Marty, who was also a reporter at Redwood News in Eureka, uh, yeah, here in Eureka, um, she uh, she was basically someone who was also uh, interested in the COVID nineteen archive project. Same situation as me. She was going to be an intern. She never got to be an intern because of budget shortfalls. Um, so I that was so yes, actually, I take that back. One of the people I did find through the internship class because uh vicky sama had vicky sama connected me with rachel i didn't know rachel i knew rachel i knew of rachel i just didn't know that rachel was also interested in doing something similar to what i was doing in terms of you know a creative project like that um but i uh skylar i already mentioned how i got in contact with her and then valentina i had met through a video production class not the internship class but through a different video production class and i was already in contact with her so i just you know, I, you know, things kind of worked out, the stars aligned and, uh, you know, there we were. So. And so starting from the beginning, your first intro into the documentary was about JP and his wife. How did you find them? So the focal point of your story is you're following a homeless person through this time in COVID and kind of unraveling their story. And your initial story was with JP and his wife. Did you already know of JP? Did you just happen to find him and think, oh, this guy would be interesting to put on? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting question because um, we, uh, I, so how it, this is, luckily this is not as long-winded as the story as the other one, but um, I had made a Facebook post in a group, um, and I believe her name was Brittany Powell or something like that. Uh, she's the public information officer for the Eureka Police Department. She saw my post because I I made what I did in the early, like the infancy stages of this uh, documentary series is I made um, posts all over social media and Craigslist for that matter. And I'll get to that. In a, um, oh, that's a sketchy site. But it actually turned out to work out, and I'll we'll talk about that. Um, but um, I did make posts on Facebook um, and. I'll just like seeing if anyone wanted to help either as crew or I shall I say cast or, you know, as, as like the subjects of my documentary and, uh, Brittany Powell, um, said, if she reached out to me and she said, yeah, Hey, maybe, um, this, uh, Sar Sergeant LaFrance at, uh, the Eureka city or, uh, yeah, I'm going to my words, the, the Eureka's the city, the police department at the city EPD. of Eureka, EPD. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she said that he might be interested in being interviewed for my documentary. So I got thinking, I'm like, okay, maybe I can interview this guy. And I will give you context. He runs a program called CSET. And uh, actually, you probably saw that in the JP episode. It, and for those who don't know, it stands for the um, Community Safety Enhancement Team. They're a subdivision of the Eureka Police Department that focuses on homeless outreach. And, um, you know, as, and as you can imagine, that might... That, lend itself yeah to lend what it's, you're trying to do exactly yeah and so um i reached out to him um we got talking uh i actually in, was able to interview him um and um while that footage didn't necessarily make it into the final cut um it did lend itself speaking of lending itself to you know the next stage of trying to find jp which was um he got me in contact with a now retired uh, police officer in the same department called uh, so, um, uh, what's his name? His name is Dennis. Dennis Gagmon. Gagmon. Yes, that's right. Can't believe I forgot that. But um, it's just a lot of names out there. Um, but uh, he basically introduced me to JP. That's how I got in contact with JP. Um, he took me around. He's like, Hey, maybe I can take you guys on a tour around, you know, like just the Eureka area and show you like, you know, various homeless individuals who, you know, maybe 
interested in being interviewed for your documentary. And one of the first people we came across was JP, who was then with his wife, uh, who was with his then wife, uh, Katie Jo. Um, and that's how we found JP. Did you know as soon as you met him that he was the one or did you try out a couple others that didn't really pan out? Um, kind of both, kind of both, honestly. Um, JP was, I mean, he was already like being, shall I say, marketed or advertised by Gagnon, um, a, as being someone who was like really like well-spoken and like just like really kind individual um is he gonna spaz out on you guys or yeah yeah but um he, uh but yes we did also try interviewing other you know homeless individuals and i mean while we got their stories it was cool to hear their stories we didn't end up going with them as our main you know subject for our documentary was it just the quality of the footage in the sense that some of them couldn't really speak or maybe weren't in the right mind to speak? Um, yeah. Because, um, I mean, you're dealing with a, a difficult demographic to try to pull information out of in the right. sense of what you would need for your documentary. You need somebody that's open, that's willing to talk about what they're going through. And most people, when they're down on their luck, aren't really inclined to say, yeah, sure, put a camera on me and I'll well, the spill thing, my heart out. Yeah, well, the thing with JP was that he he was already kind of not necessarily outspoken, but he was definitely like more uh, extroverted. Now, if JP was in this room right now, he would tell you the same thing he's told me and every other person that's wanted to talk, to, that wanted to interview him, that um, he was admittedly a little closed off. Even JP was closed off. I mean, JP's uh, a relatively outgoing person and pretty open about things, but um, even he was a little closed off, at, like kind of guarded, a little standoffish because he didn't trust us in his own words. Um, when we first interacted with him. But yes, I think it was more about the fact that he was, like you said, willing to talk to us and he was in a relatively good headspace compared to some of the other people. Um, and um, not saying more stable, just, yeah, just all the other aforementioned things. So, yeah. And so you get rolling with him. Did it take a while to build that report where he really let you in? Or did you go, were you able to start using footage from the first day you filmed with him? Yeah, I literally, from the first day we filmed with him, um, you may remember, recall, there was like a, I think it was an on-the-ground shot of him pulling his wagon, and there were like some other guys walking around with him. That was on the first day of shooting, or one of the first days of shooting. I think it was on the first day of shooting. Um, and um, yeah, uh, uh, pretty much right, right off the bat, we were able to, you know, get footage with him, and it just got better and better. And so part one, I know you, you were filming him from September 2020 to May 2022? Um, yeah, so it, um, let me think. So I think it started more in, it started around like September, October. I don't remember the exact date. And then, yeah, May of 2022 was when it ended. Yeah. And so how much time was dedicated to each part? Because you have a part one with him and then a part two follow up. Right. So uh, part one, I mean, part one, I don't know how much you would like me to talk about part one, but, um, it you talk about it as much as you want. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're here to do is talk about this. Okay, cool. For sure. Um, I just did, well, I don't necessarily want to spoil everything, but I'll, I'll try to leave concise. a little something. So that Le they're yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah. So part one, for those who don't know, deals with JP and his wife, Katie Joe, um, as they are struggling to make, um, you know, ends meet or whatever out of a, uh, tent in the devil's playground. And for those who don't know, um, you may not even know devil's playground is a area behind the Eureka mall behind the Bayshore mall. That is, um, and it's, it had a large homeless encampment of, I think several hundred people, um, that actually got disbanded and, uh, it's still called devil's playground. Um, he was living behind there, um, and we were documenting his life as he was going through, you know, the trials and tribulations of being out of a tent with a with a wife, no less, um, and who was struggling with things herself, um, both physically and, and mentally, along with JP. And uh, yeah, so um, your question was the length of of filming. With the length him, of it filming. seems like you guys followed him for a while, right? So. Our length of filming with him was throughout the course of a few months. Uh, we filmed part one, and then we filmed part two. We, we were kind of just filming as we went along. So it was kind of just like a natural progression. So part one, I think, ended, hmm, 
like I said, it was it was a few months. Um, I don't think it was more than you know several months, but it what definitely wasn't a year. I can tell you that. Um, I could be wrong on those dates, so don't necessarily quote me on that. But I know it wasn't. I I mean, like I said, the the, the main point to take away from this is that it we were just filming. A, you know, it, the part one kind of carried into part two. You know, we were filming just as we went along. We didn't want to, and I want to make this. I want to make this point. We weren't wanting to kind of insert ourselves in the documentary. Well, you did see that in part two, um, like a cameo of me from the back, just like nodding. You may remember that when then Nikki or and then she says, I can follow that with JP. You probably recall that. Um, and yeah, we didn't really want to insert ourselves. We kind of just wanted to like let things happen. We you take of, a very passive role in that first one. We do. Where you guys are really just letting his story unfold from his perspective. Right. And then the second one you do kind of, and even when you do step in, it's, you guys aren't even really directing where that goes. You're kind of just in a couple shots Hmm. and then it goes back to him. Yeah. Yeah. We, that was all intentional. That was all intentional. Yes. Um, something, uh, a phrase that Valentina, um, well, she taught me, I'd never heard it before, but I, I have, I have, um, honored it ever since is uh, fly on the wall. And that basically, for those who don't know, means, um, you know, like you said, being taking a very backseat, kind of a passive approach to things. And um, yeah, just basically not inter- not inserting ourselves too, too much, um, if, all, if at all, very minimally um, into, you know, the, their story, because we don't want to alter their story. We want their story to be told organically. Um, and so that is something that we really wanted to honor and carry out throughout this entire process did you have a story plan for how you wanted the documentary to unfold or that really just lined up with how he told his story it's like i said it was just kind of how things happen i mean we kind of just let things you know happen in front of our eyes i mean we we do we you know with this kind of work you can't really like it's not like a narrative i mean or it's not like you know like a like a three-act structure you know it's not like Somebody's not writing this out. Yeah, saying, someone's okay, not writing you need this to, out. You need to cry on cue here and and do this, and then we're gonna go over here and shoot you being upset because this happened. Yeah, it's the guy's life. It's the guy's life, and it's it's you know we just wanted we were just there to capture it. We were just there to just ch- you know just to explore what his life was like. And sure, we asked him questions. Sure, we asked him to stand here to to stand here for an interview, but you know we didn't really. Yeah, like I said, we really were not trying to manipulate the story. And so when you wrap, finish part one, did you intend to follow up for part two? Uh, yeah. Um, so part one leaves JP, um, I guess it's kind of hard not to talk about it, uh, kind of riding. Well, yeah, he rides away on a bicycle. He says, I'm trying to make the best life for my, my wife and myself. Um, part two picks up where part one left off. Um, are still in limbo, still homeless, still homeless, still in the same spot. Yeah. Um, and part two, I, I will talk a little less about, cause I think I, I want kind of the audience to, 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 to watch it, of course. But, um, uh, I basically to, to generally talk about it, it talked, it shows, yes, they are still homeless, um, JP, but he finds a new living situation. He finds a new, uh, life with a new family and uh he yeah he just uh that's that's kind of that's kind of the general gist of it and um but yes uh part two it just goes right into part two it's a pretty abrupt change because it part is. one he's pretty solid with his wife there's a point where they're talking about how i think it was his wife saying i'm surprised that he has stuck with me through this and and vice versa for me as well cut to part two he's with a new girl. He's got a new girlfriend who has a kid. They're living up up in Trinidad, or he starts out living in Eureka and then it ends up in Trinidad. Yes, and she's pretty much out of the picture. Right. I remember seeing that and thinking, "Oh wow, okay, we just did a one eighty from where they were, which seemed to be in a, a shitty spot. Mm. You're homeless, but at least you're kind of together and you're going through this and you've got each other's backs. And then, bam, mm. complete one eighty. And I can follow up on that and say JP is now JP is in what is called packed housing now. Um, and I actually, um, that's, that's 
that's the update since I'm sure that maybe that was one of your questions um, is, you know, what's the update since part two? Um, he, yeah, he's gotten into a stable situation through my help. I helped, I connected him with a person named Casey Crabb through Redwood Community Action Agency, and she helped him get into, um, into housing. And hopefully he gets into the Danco housing that was just built in uh, Arcata Valley West. Um, they converted, you know, maybe you heard about those. Yeah. Hotels. The development they did. Yeah, yeah. Is he still with the girlfriend? Yeah, they're all still together. Um, and he, as maybe you recall, hearing in uh, part two, he talks a lot about how much they mean to him and how much they've saved him, how much of a family they are to him, and that st- seems to be still holding true to today. They just came back from some rehab in uh, Reading. Uh, they were forced to, but they ended up benefiting going from, uh, you know, being, you know, doing what they were doing to being clean and sober now. Um, and so, yeah, like speaking of 180s, man, their life is just getting, it just keeps getting better. And how did he become homeless? He became homeless through, um, it, that was, and that was something you probably noticed us admitting. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if that was deliberate or that was, there was some circumstance that you guys didn't really want to well, talk about in that. Not necessarily. Um, it was just, we just didn't feel like it really added. We really wanted to just talk more about his current life and like, what is the, his current, what are his current struggles? Um, his, his past was that he was a, um, and this, this had made it up until the final cut. I mean, we really were going back and forth about whether we wanted to include this or not. Um, and it, he, I mean, he started off, he's always been like, you know, in construction, doing modular home stuff. Um, and he ran a construction company here in uh, Humboldt, in Eureka, I believe. Um, and that kind of fell apart. He actually was doing well with, uh, I don't remember if this was included in part one or not, but he did mention in at least one of the earlier cuts before the final cut in, of part one that he was doing really well uh, for a while with uh, with Katie Joe, um, But... Uh, I do, I, you know, he did talk about how he met Katie Joe, but he didn't, I don't, I don't exactly remember. I would need to go back. And I think look. that was included that he was making some money. Yeah, they he were was. doing okay. It was just a part of where things turned. Right. So, um, I think that, that kind of, there was like some, some, I don't remember the exact story, but I, I think there was like some, it, it, it was, it was a complicated situation, but, uh, there was like some, some violence being accused of stuff he didn't do or whatever. I don't remember exactly, but. Um, it's, it, it was, it was, there was a lot of moving parts. So I think we also admittedly did decide to ultimately omit it because there was just so complicated and we felt like it took away from, you know, what we really wanted to convey. So yeah, sorry if that's not. No, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, that seems to be the standard for most people that end up homeless is it's a series of events that gets them wherever they are. It's not, oh, you just wake up tomorrow and you're homeless. It's, oh. My wife left me and took everything or, oh, I started using drugs and then this happened and then this happened and then you wake up well, and you are homeless. Yeah. Um, yes and no. Um, yes. And also no, because, um, you know, I, I think something I really want to get across is that homelessness can happen to anyone. You can wake up, you know, you can wake up, to, you know, the next day and be homeless because maybe your house burned down or maybe because there's a lot of people who have come here. Um Something I've learned through the interactions I've had with the homeless advocacy community and the uh, the homeless people themselves, um, although I will say something I do want to mention is that I know that a lot of people out there do appreciate the term houseless, but um, I, I I just use those terms interchangeably. Um, so I'm just saying homeless for now. I hope that's okay. I stick with homeless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they start trying to add new words to replace other words it's like guys we, let's just say homeless yeah we all know what we're talking about it also rolls off the tongue homeless and humble um but um yeah is that so something i was learning uh through the, my interactions with the community around humble um both the housed and unhoused community is that uh yeah a lot of people have actually come to humble because of the fires that were happening in paradise and you know in the more of the inland areas um so yes uh anyone can become homeless but um, more often than not, it does, it does the yes part, the yes response to your question is that yes, more often than not, people do become homeless, uh, because of drugs, uh, mental illness, but you also, there's also all these other, you know, factors you, 
that are not talked about enough. And um, yeah. They're going to happen because of no fault of your own. Yeah, exactly. Your house just catches on fire. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, you yeah, lightning strikes your house and it catches on fire or, you know, there was a wildfire or whatever. And, or, you know, you got a familial situation. I mean, it, there's just so many reasons. And I don't want people to box themselves in to believing that there's solely, you know, reason, the number of reasons that you can count on a hand is the number of reasons that one becomes homeless. I mean, it's seemingly endless. Was that the biggest surprise, would you say, throughout filming this documentary? Was just realizing the diversity of people that fall into that? Or did you have something that stuck out to you? And you realized, oh, I never thought about homelessness in this way. Sure, yeah. So that was one of the, sure, yeah, certainly that was one of the biggest things. Um, I think the stories, just the individual stories that were being told um, not necessarily just JP's story or Angela Williams' story, but also um, just like, just how, I think it's more about just like how amazing and special these people are. Because something that I think we were doing was that, um, I, I don't think I know that we were doing, was that uh, we were one of the few groups of students during the pandemic who were actually going out and doing in-person things. Uh, while everybody was quarantining and, you know, hiding in their rooms and, you know, doing online classes, we were, our class was out there. We were interacting with a vulnerable population to begin with. Um, and uh, so to your question, um, we are, yeah, so we were going around and just really talking to these people and sitting down and actually not walking by them, but actually like stopping and talking to them. And we learned these stories and they have blown me away every time. And that's, I think, the biggest surprise for me is that um, I guess I guess you could say I humbled myself and humbled, <laughs> but um, uh, I learned, yeah, that would be my biggest surprise that just like the extent to which their their stories run deep and how like intertwined of a community they are. So, yeah. Were you guys ever afraid going into some of these areas or dealing with some of these people? Yeah. Um, so we have had some shady interactions, like people following us around. Uh, the worst it's gotten, we have never gotten physically uh, attacked. Um, it came close. Um, I was, there was a man who was following us around. Um, this was down by uh, Free Meal in the area right by the co-op. Um, he was following us around and like cussing at us. And like, I mean, he was like bug-eyed. It was, he was definitely not in a good frame of mind, um, to say the least. And um, so we luckily have avoided physical like altercations, but we have definitely had people shout at us and, you know, cuss us out or whatever. Um, so yes, I, I would say free meal has always been an interesting place to go, but that's usually the, in my experience, I'm, I look, there's probably other areas in Humboldt that are either worse or, or that may, that may not be spoken about enough that, that also have, are, you know, bad in their own right but for what from what we gathered um free meal was generally the most shady place yeah. yeah well i mean vulnerable population but also sketchy and unpredictable population at times absolutely and absolutely. you guys are going right into the into the beehive yeah exactly and i hope i hope we make it out okay yeah but you guys that's good you guys never had any violent altercations i think everyone can think of an of a circumstance where you see that homeless guy running down the street screaming and I don't think most people's inclination is, yeah, I'm going to go talk to this guy. I want to yeah. get his, I want to get his story out. You know, there was actually an article, um, and I can, uh, I can, if I find the link, I can forward it to you via email, um, about, I'm sure you heard about the homeless woman who died in front of city hall in Arcata, Um, or maybe not. She, I don't know if I heard about that. Yeah. She was found dead in front of city hall in Arcata. Um, there was a story, I think it was Kim Kemp or some other local publication wrote a story about her, um, about how she was. Yeah, about her story. I have not read the story, but I just wanted to bring that up because I was kind of related to our current discussion. Well, you have to think most people who are homeless, you're never going to hear their story. And yet the story of homelessness is something that's touted all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, people can't shut up about homelessness, myself included, because it's such a big issue and it, it doesn't feel like people really deal with it. Right. But under that umbrella are thousands of individual stories mm -hmm. 
and you don't you don't get to see that that's what's unique about your guys's project is you followed one guy and on top of him just being homeless it was in that covid frame of this right. is the state of the world that we're in and you're also dealing with lack of resources so what I, something i should mention is that we also um so our initial our initial thing was that we wanted to look at how homelessness and covid went hand in hand how they affected one another and um while they do have some correlation they don't have as much correlation as we thought or we were otherwise trying to make it out to be um that's a big realization when you're watching your documentary yeah is the gap between life under covid and homelessness there wasn't really it didn't seem like it changed it seemed like you're still homeless and it's just your day-to-day but now you have a bandana that you have to wear as a mask exactly yeah i mean you know certainly to to say that um you know, of course, COVID affected homelessness to an extent, like you said. Um, but like, you know, people lost their jobs due to COVID or, you know, this and that. But ultimately, yeah, like you said, um, there's just there's just so many other things to factor in when you're homeless. I mean, COVID and that was one of the, that would be another thing that would that would sur- surprise me. Um, but also was kind of sobering to learn that. Um, yeah, I mean, when you when you're homeless. COVID is one of the last things on your mind. It's not a big problem. It's not, yeah, when you have to think about where you're going to sleep at night, where you're going to get social services, where you're going to get food, drinks, where you're going to use the bathroom, um, you know, where you're going to be able to maybe do some semblance of laundry, if that's even a th- an option for you. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, so that, that would be, that would be my answer. You were pretty surprised by that. Did you I guys was, think it was going to be a bombshell like oh you're homeless it's super hard and then now you have covid and it's just 10 times harder you know we did admittedly think that uh that did cross my mind uh, a couple times but i don't know if it was to that degree but it was we certainly thought there was more going to be more of a correlation than there actually turned out to be um so yeah it didn't it wasn't as like drastic as that but yeah it was definitely it was you know it, like i said we we were we were wanting to do it one way but we we humbled ourselves and we learned through we didn't learn like through research we learned through like talking to the people being on the ground yeah being on the ground boots on the ground like talking to these people learning and not just like turning a blind eye which is what a lot of people do which is what a lot of people do well it's easier to just ignore the problem it is yeah i'm just gonna not go down by the co-op i'm just gonna stay off these sketchy parts of broadway i mean Mm -hmm. how many people go to devil's playground that aren't spray painting or or just hanging out. I mean, how many normal people are just going down there? Well, I mean, I I can say I um I don't have an exact answer to that question, like in terms of numbers, but I mean, I can tell you that there were like you know it's there's like people like jogging. There's like a jogging trail back there, um, where you can bike and scooter and whatever. It's a paved trail, um, but there's also like a fair number of, um, you know, homeless people back there. That's where a lot of the big homeless camps have been. Yeah, is back in that area because it's forested. You can kind of get some cover, and then they just aggregate. One thing I will mention is that JP actually picked up a lot of garbage, and he—that's how it's one of the ways he actually got by. Um, he actually, um, from what he's told me, he actually helped, uh, you know, save them all in some to some degree uh, in terms of they. It, I mean, it was kind of um, what's the word? They kind of coexisted him and the mall. Uh, he actually, yeah, he picked up like tons and tons of garbage. Um, and the mall let him remain behind the mall because he was doing that kind of work. And the, I'm sure you saw the, you saw him like, you know, wheeling around a cart. Uh, that cart was not just for his belongings. That was also for garbage bags that he was, you know, he was getting stuff into. Um, and the thing with Dennis Gagnon was that Gagnon was, you know, Gagnon saw the good in JP, as you probably saw through the, the word, the way JP's, you know, admiration for him. Um, and yeah, it, it was kind of a coexisting relationship like that. So, well, that really- was another interesting dynamic in your documentary was when JP's talking about Gagnon and then says that Gagnon gave him that ticket for trash or for recycling or something. Mm. And he says most people would hear that and probably think that's a bad thing, but that ticket also came with a diversion program through Uplift Eureka that got him into housing. Yes. And so 
he was thankful that Gagnon did that. And Gagnon did that for that reason. And it was interesting seeing, oh, the homeless are really thankful for the police in that sense because they're helping out. They're not just shitting on them and moving them around. Yeah, I mean, the interaction between the homeless community and the you know, the police community in not just Eureka, but Arcata is... Dicey. It's dicey. It's up for debate. Um, but I think, yeah, like to your point, there are... That's definitely a thing. I mean, um, you know, the police aren't all bad. There's that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is Gagnon's specific relationship with JP was was really interesting to see because he didn't need to care. He could have just turned a blind eye like most people do, but he seemed bent on actually helping him. Yeah, and that was one of the things he did say in the documentary. It was like, I don't have to help anyone, but I, yeah. But when it comes to JP, blah blah blah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I just I really respect Gagnon for his efforts to help JP and, you know, despite everything, it's just, it was, it was, it was harmonious. It was beautiful. Yeah. Now, one of the complaints that you hear around the homeless is that there are a lot of resources. It's just that they're not willing to take advantage of them. Did that seem to hold true while you were doing this? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that the resources were, I, I mean, I think that that's something that I was going to explore more in well I should met, I I should preface this by saying this um we were I we were in the there was a part there was an episode 4 in the making um you may not know that um there was an episode 4 in the making about solutions to homelessness and the resources available to homeless people in this community um while that hasn't gotten finished due to budget shortfalls I'd love to pick it up sometime but um it's I would say that it's kind of it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, I think that there are certainly people who use services. Um, one thing I did hear actually from a, I think it was from a cab driver around here, or I heard it from someone, um, is that uh, the what was it the the rescue mission actually, I from what I've been told forces you to participate in their religious services, and if you're not religious, you get kind of like less you kind of get at the short end of the stick when it comes to availability of whatever. Um, so I find that interesting, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a concrete answer to that question, but what I can say is that from what I've, from the information I have gathered and from what I've seen talking to people, it's, it's kind of all over the place. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure the extent that resources are withheld with the Eureka rescue mission. I had Brian all on who's the director for that. You did. And I know that he is, I, I believe it's their discipleship program. Mm -hmm. it's, try, it's like a pathway for them to get off the streets type thing. Mm. And he seems pretty proud of that, but uses religion in the sense that you need that foundation to try to pull yourself out and pull out of it, mm. which some people admittedly don't subscribe to. They think, oh, just let them do their things. But you have to admit there is, there could be value in that. If somebody's, floating in the wind and then you give them this thing to kind of guide them like a life raft in a sense of oh you can cling to this and then pull yourself out yeah for sure and that was something that we did as jp i don't remember i don't think it made it into the final cut of his first episode or even second episode was the idea of religion um it certainly made it into the angel william episode i don't know if you've seen the angel yeah william. yeah we'll get to that obviously but um yeah, so religion, um, I would say, does yes, I would agree with that, uh, with that sentiment that yes, religion does certainly factor into some people's lives, but again, not every person's life is going to be well you know, suited, well suited, or bound to the i, you know, the concept of religion. Um, but you know, for those who do, who do, you know, benefit from that, more power to them. Um, and I, you know, I think it's great that they, they are benefiting from that. And I just, uh, you know, you know, keep at it, but, um, yeah, that would be my answer. I, I believe AA is structured in that same way, isn't it? With a religious bent. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. weird how, or not weird, but it's interesting how a lot of those programs have some religious tie mm. where, yeah, we're going to help you, but here's, here's the program we're going to work through. Yeah. It's tied to the big guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's not something, again, that's not something I've really considered outside of this conversation and a few other conversations, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, that would certainly be, 
something that, uh, oh, you know, actually, that is something I have looked into a little bit because for my fourth episode, I was I was talking to a fellow named Mark Delaney. Um, if you don't Mark, if you don't know Mark Delaney, you'll know now who he is. He is a uh, local, like I guess, entrepreneur. His son runs Stream Guys, um, which Why is. Why do I know that now? Stream Guys. It's a. It's based out of the White Schoolhouse in Bayside. Um, they're they do like all sorts of streaming stuff. They're pretty well no, they're uh, at least in terms of you know the media community. But um, his son, yeah, his son actually runs Stream Guys. And uh, that being said, he does talk. He did tell me that um, I guess a lot of religious organizations around here like shun. I don't know if that's the right word. I I would need to go back and look at the footage again because, like I said, it's been a minute since I've really touched that footage or gone around to it. But he did. He did. So I have talked. I there's been mention of like the like the clashing of religion and the homeless community around here. Um, but yeah, I think there, I think the word would be shunned. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think the word would be shunned, um, in terms of like how the religious community treats their homeless individuals, um, or who, you know, they are like, you know, versus like others or whatever. But yeah, so yeah, it's, it's an, to, so to make a long story short, it's an interesting topic. I would just need to look into it more. And I, it's a great, it's a, you know, these questions are great. This is, yeah. And so episode three, which we haven't talked about, is yeah. with Angela and her husband. Mm. Where did that one come from? Did you just, you wanted to keep this as a series of some sort? Or did you want to do episode three and then finish up with the unfinished episode four of how do you solve this problem? Well, episode three actually came from Craigslist. That was the one. That, that was came, the Craigslist one. That was the Craigslist one. And uh, Were you hesitant when you got a reply from Craigslist about this? Um, like, Maybe we should not respond. Well, you know, I've kind of been... I don't know. I just, it's this weird thing with Craigslist. Like just for me, yeah, sure. I've gotten shady responses off Craigslist and bots and scammers or whatever. I mean, that's always going to be the thing with Craigslist or people who will have other intentions other than what you are wanting. Yeah. The, what is it? The personal section or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You're like, ah, I don't need to go in there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we found them through Craigslist. Uh, I made a post on Craigslist, um, and I did get some comments basically telling me to, to F off. Um, but, uh, as, or I was being insensitive or like, I should post this in the housing section or something or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, the response I did get that we did end up going with, which was, was from Angela and William. And they said, Hey, you know, we've been living out of our truck for a number of years. We're both disabled. Here's my number. Here's my husband's number. Give me a call. Give him a call, whatever. We'd love to chat. And that's how we met with them. Um, and so we, that was, I would say my, I don't know if I want to say that's my favorite episode. I think they're each, they're each episode is special in its own right, but that was definitely the episode that, um, I feel the most proud of in terms of how it was structured or just how it, how it all went down. Cause the thing with, um, the thing with JP's episode was, as you may recall in, in episode two, we lost contact with him for a few months. Um, not to any of, no, I'm not faulting anyone. It's just, that's, but unfortunately we weren't able to, you know, continue production for, or we were, we, production had to be halted for a few months. With Angel William, it was a constant flow of things. And again, that, that, you know, I'm not trying to be, trying to come off as like, you know, insensitive or whatever, um, but to, you know, to JP circumstances, but um, Angel William's episode, I guess I'll leave it at this. Like I said, each episode is special in its own right. And for Angela and Williams' episode, I really felt as though it's just their episode was just it was just heartbreaking because they, you know, as you as you like you said, you saw episode three. They they were going through it, man. They were, I mean, they had already you know physical limitations due to you know unforeseen circumstances, but combine that with the fact that they couldn't recline the seats in their truck because there was so much stuff in their truck. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. Well, it, it's insane. And then you see their storage unit and it's just jam-packed with stuff too. And it's like, what are we, guys, what are we doing here? It felt a little pack ratty. Not to be insensitive to what they're going through, but. And I have heard that comment. There was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff. And I've been told, one of the comments I've been told before is that they're, they are, you know, they're hoarders. Um, but 
I think that is something that may be due to, um, you know, it could be mental illness, it could be sentimentalness, it could be this and that. But I, like I said, we were just really there to just capture what was going on. And but I do, I do fully recognize and take in the the I don't know if you want to call it criticism or feedback or just a note about how yeah they did have a lot of stuff and you know um but you know it's just it's just you know this it's just a constant like it's a constant battle it's a constant fight it's it's a constant debate as well about like you know how should we best approach this ever growing seemingly bottomless pit like issue in the form of homelessness um and housing insecurity uh and it's just yeah it like i said it just feels like a bombless pit sometimes because it's just like will we ever get one kind of will we ever get like a really good solution because i mean something that's been mentioned before is i don't know if you know but finland has pretty much eradicated i think it's finland pretty much eradicated homelessness um or that have gotten a lot of unhoused people off the streets um and into housing um, and this is something that I was going to be exploring more in episode four was that, um, just like how, you know, like what solutions are out there versus like what, what isn't being done versus, you know, the debate in and of itself, maybe at a political or non-political level. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, that's kind of been like a recurring theme throughout this conversation, right? It's like, there's a lot of things that are just all over the place and it's just, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot. I'm not familiar with Finland's stance, but I have heard of other countries where it's almost a forced housing. That if mm-hmm. you're living on the street, they'll just roll up, pick you up, try to help you get clean. Whereas we try to take a more hands-off approach and let them come to the to the resources if they want them. Yeah. So the thing with um, this community is uh, in California. Uh, I I think it's I actually I think it's a nationwide thing. It could simply be California. Anyway. Um, I know, at least as far as this community goes, it's a, we have a, what is called a housing first model and the housing first model. So there's two models to, as far as I understand for homelessness or for approaching homelessness. Uh, there's the, the housing first model, which basically states exactly what it sounds like. We're just going to house everyone and we're going to worry about their eligibility for social services later. We're not going to ask questions, no questions asked. And, um, uh, the other model is called the continuum of care model, which says, okay, we are going to actually like vet people or vest vet people, uh, for like, if they are actually qualified to be enrolled in social services, or the other thing they could do is they could make, you know, the housing that they get into contingent on social services or their willingness to participate in social services. So those are the two models, um, but this county does take a housing first approach, and you know housing first is is debatable. It is, um, but the main issue with this county is that there's not, and you'll probably hear this from other people as well, um, is that there's not enough housing available. There's not enough units. The number of people who need housing outpaces the number of units actually available, and so that makes for a big, you know, housing insecurity or houselessness crisis. But um, you may recall in Andrew Williams' episode, they are in uh, Section 8 housing, um, which is for low-income people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good for them. They, they got into housing. But um, I, I, am, I am aware that there are certainly people out there who are not as fortunate as Angela William or JP. You know, you know there, there, there's definitely untold stories out there, and there's people who need help, and there will always be people who need help. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this documentary was that I wanted to do a public service. I wanted to, I wanted to illuminate their stories. I wanted to get their stories. I wanted to give them a platform for their stories to be shared upon so that it can benefit the greater community, Humboldt community, California community, worldwide community, however you want to phrase it. Another interesting dynamic in Angela's episode was the debt that they had accumulated. Mm-hmm. Did she go into greater detail with you about what that actually looked like? So for people that don't know, she, I believe it was just her, but it might've been her and her husband. They were struck on a motorcycle. It was just her. It was just her, but yes. she was with another person on the motorcycle. I believe so. All I know is, I know, I know she certainly was on the motorcycle and she sustained severe head trauma. And that was what caused the, uh, 
you know, her brain damage. And, and it was by a, not a fire truck, but a truck belonging to the fire department, like a pickup truck. I believe so. Her. Yeah, something like that. And so, like she said, the fire department has to pay her till the day she dies or something like the city. Yeah, of she got a settlement. Yeah, yeah, from the city of Ukiah. Yeah. Um, but it sounded like they had accumulated a lot of debt. And that was another barrier in that they couldn't get out from under that based off what they were bringing in. Yeah, so she didn't exactly go into the greatest amount of detail with us about it. Um, but, I mean, given everything, we, 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 we rolled with it. We believed her, and we still do to this day, um, that, you know, she, she's not, you know, um, BSing us. Um, and uh, she, you know, I, 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 what, I do, what I can tell you is that her debt did come from you know, the credit cards, that was something that they did mention, you know, credit cards constantly having to put money into their truck, putting money into their, their food, their clothing, uh, other various things. And so that certainly factored in, but no, she did not go into a lot of, or as much detail as we necessarily wanted about her debt. Debt scares the shit out of me. Andy and I were talking about that before we started the podcast. Hmm. I know people that have seven, seven or eight credit cards. And I hear that and I just start, I start sweating because I get nervous. Mm. The idea that it's, it's so easy to just use fake money and pay and buy things. And then all of a sudden you have to pay the piper and it's like, oh, well you have to pay. And then you have 26% interest. And then now your payment is higher and it starts adding up. And then you get to this point where it's not even the product that you bought. You just, you're paying off interest on what you bought and then you get buried. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, and uh, yeah, like talk about feeling like it's a bottomless pit. I mean, going back to that phrase, it's just like wow, it's it's, it's scary, but it's it's unbelievable, and it's 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 heartbreaking. It is, and like you said, like yeah, your palms are sweaty, mom spaghetti or whatever. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Eminem. We're going... Shout out to Eminem. I don't know if that's like well, I I didn't say bit. the spaghetti part, but I like that addition. Okay, uh, so I just trying to add a little humor into this but um um yeah so uh yeah that would that would be that yeah that would be my answer to the debt question that i could see that being a point of contention in the sense that people would then try to attribute some fault to her that oh she they're kind of in this situation because of poor money management or the consumerism that plagues so many people Right, but then there's like so many other things, like oh, I mean, so many other factors at play. I mean, there's, you know, there's, I mean, I, I, you know, we never directly ask them about if they're going through anything. Well, not if they're going through anything mentally, but if they're directly dealing with any mental, you know, illness or whatever. Um, I mean, they said she said at least in the documentary that the doctors thought she would never walk or talk again. Right, which is pretty. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is really crazy, and. uh yeah, but here she is, you know, she is, she's walking, you know, granted, um, you know, she does have a bit of a, a limp, limp um, but she, um, uh, she, yeah, I mean, she's still at it. And she and William are bonded through love and, you know, their, their lightheartedness for one another, uh, their lighthearted approach to life. And that's how they're getting through it. I mean, you probably saw that throughout the documentary. They're always joking with one another, always trying to make things better than they actually were. Um, and that's what broke my heart. And that's about this, about that third episode. So, yeah. How much money did you dump into this? How much money did we dump into this? Um, I don't know an exact amount. Uh, I would need to look back at the budget spreadsheet. We did budget. Um, we, but we, it was probably, I mean, collectively, probably at least several hundred dollars if not more and maybe in the thousand thousands i don't know out of pocket we did get donations we did have a gofundme going and we still have a gofundme it just has it's been kind of a dud for a while uh i don't know if this is if i'm allowed to say oh yeah yeah if you want to plug it right now yeah um that we do we do have a gofundme and i can link you the gofundme um as well as you know other links i'll send you a bunch of links following this conversation and uh uh, yeah, um, we, we, yeah, we, we still have a GoFundMe. I mean, ultimately I would like to still continue this project, but as of right now, um, everybody else is either, you know, dropped out of the frame altogether due to, you know, work getting in the way, life getting in the way, or they're just, the interest has been lowered. 
However, I am still very much interested. I mean, it's just, I, yeah, I'd love to pick it up again. I mean, this, this, I mean, as you saw, I mean, it was the, the content that we came out with was really cool and was also really, I think, impactful for a lot of people. Um, we have hold, hosted screenings um, at the Minor Theater at Synapsis in Eureka. Uh, we, I have been contacted about doing a screening at uh, the Sanctuary in Arcata. Um, I would love to do, make that happen, but in, if, that, if and when that happens, I don't know if you guys would be able to get the word out there about that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is, I, I, I really, man, I've really gone back and forth about, okay, is this just like a drop in the bucket thing, or is this like, you know, is this actually like something that's, you know, not only changing people's lives, but is actually like making waves in the community, um, making rounds and waves in the community. And I think, I think the latter, I think the latter, I want to believe the latter. It's just, um, I think more people need to know about this. And this is why I'm appreciative of coming on the air and talking with you about this is because, you know, I think the more people know about this, this work, not only, uh, it, this is not necessarily for really profit or just like bragging rights or even resume building. This is, you know, this is something that truly means something to me. This is something that really, I really want to make a change with. So, yeah. Is this an avenue that you want to pursue directing? You know, I, I am not sure yet. I am still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life as many post-college recent, re recently removed college graduates want or are going through. So, um, but yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, if I can make a living out of this, that'd be amazing. Um, or if I can continue to follow this, I mean, I at least would love to continue episode four. And so if there's anyone out there that would like to contribute to episode four, either monetarily, if that's the life I'm allowed to say that yeah. or, or, um, um, or like being crew or whatever, send them my way. I mean, I would love to pick it up. I mean, right now I'm just working on like video editing gigs in Arcada and just doing things here and there and kind of just like taking it easy. But I mean, if this is, Hey, if this is something that can be picked up again, so I'm all for it. What's the holdup for episode four? Is it time? Recording more footage? Is it editing footage? Well, like I said, it's like budgetary sh budget budget shortfalls right now. Um, but in terms of what? In terms of needing new equipment or budget? In terms of like, I mean, at some point, and I don't know how else to say this is like, we had gone so long without asking for donations, really, or we had been doing a lot of this out of pocket. But at the end of the day, this can only be a passion project for so long, and would need to turn into something that. I would admittedly need to make some kind of money from, or I don't know how else to say it, profit, uh, whatever. So um, it's, I mean, it's cool to work on it. It's just not something that is a big priority in my life right now due to what I just mentioned. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the, it's feedback in a monetary sense mm -hmm. that is missing for you right now. Yeah. So yeah. Time. Time is a huge thing. Time is a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, we do. I can say that we put hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into this documentary. We were going out several times a week filming with people. Um, and it's, yeah, like I said, we, we didn't really ask for money. We just, we just kind of did it ourselves because we, we, we wanted to do it and it meant something to us. And, you know, if it, make, if it can make a greater change in this world, then that's, that's at the end of the day, that's what matters to us, money or not. Yeah. Okay. Well, Gabe, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to see maybe if episode four comes out in the future. Yeah. And again, like I said, if there's anyone out there who uh, would like to help in any kind of way, uh, send them my way. I, I would really, I, like I said, I'm kind of at a crossroads in my life. And if this can help me, this can help propel me forward, then that'd be amazing. I'd love to pick up episode four. We have a lot of footage with it. And, uh, I just, it's, it just needs a little more fine tuning and maybe some additional assist hands on deck, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find homeless and humble, where they can donate if they want to do that? Sure. Sure. Um, so if you search homeless and Humboldt on YouTube, um, you can find, it's pretty much, I think the first, one of the first search queries, if not the first search query, our channel along with all three episodes. Along, there's also trailers for all three episodes. Um, I will say something that really that was a little deflating for going back to an earlier question you had about why 
it hasn't been continuing episode four, is that we also got denied a grant. We had applied for a grant uh, through uh, Humboldt Area Foundation, and that got denied, um, unfortunately. But uh, that was a little deflating, um, and that that kind of didn't exactly kill my confidence, but it, it definitely lowered it. Um, but yes, like you said, feedback monetarily would be nice. But um, also the GoFundMe, if you search, um, if you search GoFundMe Homeless and Humboldt, um, you can find the GoFundMe. Um, I will also send you the link. Um, we are, we have a goal, um, but we can expand that goal. Um, the money there for those who do go onto the GoFundMe, they will see that there has been a significant amount of money donated that went into the first three episodes. That's not the money that's gone into the fourth episode. We have gotten zero money for the fourth episode. That has just been all out of pocket, uh, really. And, um, yeah. So also, um, if you search homeless, I mean, if you just search homeless and humble, you can find all the links. I should probably create a, one of those things called a link tree. I'm learning about that. Um, and, uh, I mean, if you search homeless and humble on uh, Instagram, just literally homeless and humbled, um, you can find our our page where we had been posting. It would be cool to start posting again if we do get some kind of traction again. Um, and I'm sure I'm missing some. Oh, uh, homeless and humbled dot um, That also has a. You know, that that's like the main hub for a lot of our things. Um, and again, I'll link you that site. Yeah, we'll put it in the uh, description. Okay. So people can find it for sure. I think I want to end it on this because I would be remiss if I didn't say this. I think you should go ahead and do the fourth episode. I get the time constraint and it's hard doing something when you're not getting any money for it and you're just dedicating your time and it feels like a slog. But sometimes that comes first and then the money starts to follow. Absolutely. It's just breaking through that barrier of do I really want to spend all my time doing this thing and then have the possibility of nothing coming from it. But sometimes that those are the best things is it pays off on the back half. You just got to get to the back half, you know, mm. but take that with a grain of salt. I'm still, I mean, we're in a garage filming a podcast. So, all right, Gabe, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.